You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. We're talking about things Jesus never said. Here's one thing Jesus never said. Uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. Did you ever hear this before? What does it conjure up for you? Let's talk right now. When you hear this phrase, what happens in your head? Or in their body. Someone said it, ex- it immediately exhausted them. <laughs> when my little sister came out, my parents didn't know how to work with that, and they didn't talk to her for a while. And that sucked. And they used this phrase somehow? Yeah, it was in the spirit of things. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a tough one. Yeah, not a good spirit of things. Yeah. Four? Response. I mean, I don't, to be clear, I don't. You don't actually do it. No, but I think it real hard. Yeah, well, that's interesting. So, do you think? Do you think what you think is different than who you are? We're gonna. This is the whole subject right now. Yeah, I don't think you. I don't think you want to ultimately think that, right? No. Any more? Karina. I feel like it's kind of feeling sorry for the sinner in the situation. Like, oh, you know, they they messed up, but uh, we'll just pat them on the back and be like, they did something evil. Hopefully they'll never do or think or do anything wrong again. And it's kind of just sort of a demeaning way to kind of put down Yeah. Yeah, right. I'm I'm with you on that one. Totally. You know, like uh if you happen to if you happen to meet a Nazi and they're like, hey, I love the center, hey, it's you know, it's like, okay. You know, there's a, it could have another problem, another problem could happen. There's two more, right? One more, Trevor. Yeah, well, it's just you. Don't take this personal. You know, that you say something offensive. I know, Jordan, do you want to say something? I was just like, yeah, kind of drive with Martha said. It's like the, the period is the problem I have. Like, I like love the sinner. Yeah. I'm, that's good. Hate sin, sure. But like the way it sort of like ends, ends the conversation, or just sort of like here, no, we wrapped it all up. Like no longer have to think about the uh, situation, or like the. You prefer an ellipses. Ellipses would be nice, yeah. <laughs> Only three dots, not four. Three dots.
I've been trying to show the best that I can of these uh, kind of uh, cu these cultural theological ideas or these the folk theology that sometimes we think Jesus said, and show the good and also show how they're not in line with what I think Jesus said and did and, and lived like. Um, and this one's hard. It kind of stumped me in some ways. It's rooted, I think, read as generously as possible in the idea that we can be loving towards people that have sinned against us or sinned against God. And at the heart of it, at the best heart of it, you could say, is a calling to be compassionate and loving, even though we're flawed people. Um, Augustine of Hippo, the uh, too influential for his own good North African theologian, um, coined the phrase, I mean, really, just one of the most influential theologians of, in Christian history. He, he coined this phrase. So it, it, it's not totally apart from our tradition. In a letter that he wrote about church discipline in 424 to his sister, a leader of a monastery of uh, nuns, here's his phrasing, first in Latin, then in English. Jordan, will you read the Latin for us? Do you want an ecclesial last Latin or scholastic? I actually don't know the difference. <laughs> I, I like that you said something, though. He meant is an African swallow or a European swallow. Do, read, read, read the Latin. Okay. <laughs> Cum delectione hominum et odio vitiorum. Yeah. Yeah. So, how about you in English, Johnny? Love or Here, Augustine, I read the letter today, is emphasizing the importance of treating each other with honor so that we don't stumble into sin. I can see the value in that sort of compassionate life that's done in service to others. But the phrase does way more than that, doesn't it? I mean, the, the context of the letter is a little troubling to me. Um, and I have to take it as a letter written in a specific time and place and not as a theology that should be extrapolated eternally. But he, the, the, the nuns in this monastery were apparently uh, dressing in a way that was eliciting attention from men, and he was writing to tell them something needs to change in this circumstance. Um, and Augustine, unfortunately, had a lot of sin related to sex and sexuality. You know, his mind was, he would say, was perverted in that way. But his undue influence in the church kind of made us all obsessed with sex as as the center of sin for us. Like literally how the original sin is transmitted, according to Augustine, is through sex. Which is why Mary needed to be a, vir a virgin to give birth to Jesus, and also why Mary had to be immaculately conceived. Because the sex sin couldn't be, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't go into Mary. So this is, this is his idea. You know, and, 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 um, Within a certain framework, it makes some sense. Here, he is rebuking the nuns for how they're dressed. And from what I can tell, they were not dressing according to the, the code of the day, so there was something to be said about it. But the way that the church went to extrapolate some of his teaching, I would say is problematic. I don't want to talk too much more about Augustine. However, I will say it's interesting how Augustine talks about it versus how, this is what Jesus talks about. Because he puts the he puts he sees the same problem, but he, he puts the uh, burden squarely on the uh, on the male gaze, on the male evil eye, if you will. 
Here's how he says it in Matthew 25. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So here Jesus is saying to the guys, cut out your eye if, it's, if, if you're using it in a way that's weird, you know? Now I think that's the teaching. So like, it, it's not so much about like what they're wearing, but why are you looking at them? Because, because in ancient kind of optic science, um, um, sight is an action. It's not a passive thing. It's an active thing. So this is why he says, take it out. And I, I appreciate that because it's like, instead of someone saying, don't wear yoga pants, it's it, <laughs> the person saying, cut out your eye. You know, so that's more interesting to me, you know, as, as a piece of uh, theology, if you will. Um, but what's more interesting is that he's not separating body and action. He's not even separating mind and body, which is why, sorry, Kate, when I said, well, your mind is connected to your body, isn't it? That, that was the same kind of idea. He says the way to cut sin out of your life is to cut out your eye because I can't separate your body and your actions. I can't separate your being from your body. I can't separate your soul and your body. They're all connected. But what Augustine's phrase does purportedly is, or potentially is separate the two, love the sinner, hate the sin. And that ends up bifurcating or, or dividing the human into being, true being, and action. And that so sort of a dissection of self is problematic for me. That sort of dissection of who you are, the manner of your being, or you might say your ontology, is problematic for me because it's against Jesus. And it's, it's only against Jesus insofar as Jesus is God incarnate. God in a person. We were just singing the, uh, the Advent song there at the end there, Life from Light, God from God, the whole thing about how Jesus came into humanity and made us holy. Our, our, our entire beings too, our physical bodies became holy too because Jesus dwells in them. So, But when we separate what we do from who we are, we're disembodying ourselves. We're saying that our material actions and thus our material selves are less important than our true self. And it separates the mind and body or the soul and body, you might say. And this philosophy leads to a lot of other problems. When we separate ourselves from the material, our material bodies, we also separate ourselves from the material world that we're in, and that can lead to like environmental destruction. Just for example, that same idea gets, goes all the way there. Are you following me how, how, how that could happen? But it's a deeply Greek idea, which is why Greek people could act in morally reprehensible ways, like abusing their slaves, which is largely what Paul is talking about in the passages that have come to clobber gay people today. Male masters raping male slaves, power, power dynamic. Um, men are so much uh, greater than women, it's better to force yourself with a man than a woman. Right, that's, the, that's, the, that's the power dynamic happening in the New Testament and in Greece that Paul is undoing in my reading and understanding. So they could do horrible things like um, sleep with their mother-in-law and still feel okay, which by the way, just 
universal probably opinion is don't do that. <laughs> it's, it, will it will complicate everything in your life fast. Um, right? I think that's fair to say. Um, <laughs> whilst you're imagining now, whilst, while sleeping, while, while, still believe, while still believing their souls are okay, because their material self would die off. Socrates said, "Enemies uh, is a friend. Uh, de death is a friend of mine, because it frees me from this body that I'm in." Christianity is a is an incarnate materialistic religion, and so we 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 believe in new resurrection, new creation. Right? My body will be saved, and this mentality leads to all sorts of other Christian thought, and that's okay because so much of Christian thinking was rooted in Greek tradition early on. So it's fine that the New Testament is Greek. It's not fine when when you fail to contextualize God's truth in a new environment, thereby not making it Greek anymore. It only is damaging when you codify the Greek context, when you principalize that contextualization. Then that leads to bad faith and bad mission. The territory I'm going is risky, though, because I'm going to say the problem with love the sin, love the sinner, hate the sin, is that you can't separate human beings from human actions. I don't think that's really possible because I think our actions are connected to who we are fundamentally. And by extension, I think our sin is connected to us in the same way. We can't separate our actions and our desires and our thoughts and our feelings from who we are. The bad news is we can't escape how bad we are. The good news is that when God remakes us, God remakes all of us. God doesn't love the sinner and hate the sin. God loves you and all of you. And that's a better phrase. You become your true self in God. You become fully who you are in God. And I think that's important. Of course, that can be, it can be weaponized. When those in power believe that they're the ones to write the rules of the new true self. We might end up all being straight white guys after we get saved, if that happens. Does that make sense? Love the sinner, hate the sin has been used to oppress all sorts of folks in that framework. It's why people advocated for gay conversion therapy. Familiar with this? And why they brought acoustic guitars to Africa. Right? Same, same, same idea. You, you see how those two are connected? You write the rules of who you're supposed to be. Straight and strong acoustic guitars. That's the Christian, you know. So you can see, you can see how weird that is. Um, no offense if you're straight or play acoustic guitar. Well, damn, Johnny. Yeah, acoustic guitar is an identity now. God loves you into your fullness. And what, what does your new sinless life look like? It means not considering yourself or someone else from a worldly point of view. Here's how Paul told it to the Corinthians in his second and kinder letter to that church. Someone out loud read this. There's six verses here. We're going to do some study with this in a second. For the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. 
Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who has reconciled himself to us through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So do you mind, let's, let's go through this passage for a second. Thanks, Kate, for reading that. It has a lot of theological jargon, but I want to work through it for a moment because I don't just want you to skip over it. Some of you, like someone in my cell, I read a Bible passage once and they said, that sounds a lot like the Bible. And that was, the, that was they just like, they have a way of reading the Bible where like, okay, it's like, a, it's like the teachers and peanuts, you know? So I, I want to get beyond that for a second and, and, and actually work with the text and give it some meaning beyond what might feel like just theological jargon to me. I want to show how the love of God changes who we are fundamentally, changes the, the manner of our being, our ontology. God changes who we are and regards us as new beings. God doesn't hate our sin because God doesn't see us that way anymore. The completion this completion is achieved in Christ's death. Paul starts in verse 14, which is why I left the verses up there so you can follow along. So he says, Christ died once and for all. An infinite sacrifice was made for an infinite offense. The complete nature of <coughs> sin or wrongdoing is overcome by the cross. Sin isn't just about right actions. It's about being a, a, it's, a it's about right Persons. This is why, for example, we can participate in racist and sexist systems, even though we aren't explicitly racist because your pastor's brown, or sexist because you love your sister. Right? That, that despite the evidence that you've conjured up to say, I'm not participating in these systems, no, we are, because the sin condition is much bigger than your individual actions. It's something that we swim in. So when you understand then the totality of sin, we can realize that our sin can't be separated from who we are, but God's love changes who we are, and we no longer live for ourselves, we live for God, verse 15. We don't think of each other in human terms anymore, but because of God's grace, we think of each other as new creations. No longer do we consider sin as a part of our true self, but rather our old self, 16 through 17. Everything is new now. Everything is new, including our very beings. God reconciles God's self to us through Jesus. And then Jesus reconciles the whole world unto himself. Just to review again, God's love through Christ's death changes us. We no longer see each other as sinners because the punishment for sin has been paid. You don't like that motif because it's payment and punishment and so on. You could say, describe sin as life diminishment and say, we no longer regard each other as bound to death because death has been defeated in Christ. And we now see each other as God sees us, saints, not sinners. Beautiful passage of hope. We're living in the new creation, or I might say the true creation. And that's the job of Christians then to bring about that fullness into the 
whole world, the reveal to the whole world, the trueness that is happening, the fullness that's happening within us and outside of us. We are bringing hope to the world, the hope of new life in Jesus. We don't regard each other as sinners anymore who have missed the mark or have diminished their life in some way. We think of each other in our fullness. We see each other as God sees us. We see ourselves as God sees us. That's why Jesus warns people not to judge one another in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's something Jesus actually said. Someone read Matthew 7 here. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. When Jesus says, thanks Robert, not to judge here, he means we shouldn't condemn each other. It's not like he's saying you can't tell somebody when they've injured you or hurt you or you can't make any sort of judgment of character upon meeting somebody. Jesus isn't telling you to ignore your instincts. In verse 3, though, he says if you judge that, if you judge someone like God will judge them, then God will judge you just the same. Because going back to 2 Corinthians 5, you're not regarding them from a new creation point of view. But it's not like the sin condition that the world's in doesn't affect all of us. The rhetorical question Jesus asks here is, why do you notice your neighbor's sin and not yours? Jesus is creating an environment of mutual accountability where we're moving with one another into fullness. Jesus isn't saying we can't note the speck in our neighbor's eye, but that we should also be receptive to... Uh, the law in our own eye. Take it out, maybe you can see more clearly. Unfortunately, it seems like the, the ones that are insistent on judging everyone are missing the mark more than the people they're judging are. And Jesus comes down really hard on those religious leaders, and religious leaders in general, like me, to be honest, who Jesus reserves his harshest words for. Here's one more biblical passage. Here's Jesus saying the same thing in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Cumin has an extra M here for some reason, which is strange. This always stops me right when I read it. Why do they spell it that way? For you tithe in mint of, uh, a, a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. One of my favorite images that's so evident what Jesus is talking about. Because you know these people that strain out gnats all day and they swallow a camel. You know? Like they're the, and they often are religious leaders. That's, uh, that's, 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 uh, that's what we're talking about. You ignore the weightier matters of the law. <coughs> Justice and mercy and faith. 
and you will be allowed to do so. Jesus is rebuking the religious leaders of his day, and one of the reasons he's so impassioned when he does this is because they're the closest ones to him. All right, there's an argument to be made that he was trained by Pharisees, a conservative Jewish political party. And the other side the, the, of the political spectrum in, in uh, Roman-occupied Israel was a very uh, uh, liberal political point of view where a lot of things went and they allowed the Romans to influence them in a number of ways. That was the temple party. But the, uh, the, the party that ran the uh, ruling council was the Pharisees. And they were the ones making sure everybody paid every, everything they needed to the temple. Every, every, every spice they needed to tithe went to the temple. And they ignored the major issues of the law. Justice, mercy, and faith. Right? One is the speck, the other is the law. One is the gnash, the other is the camel. That's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus never says not to follow the temple code that requires tithing. But he says, can't you focus on both? Similar to Matthew 7, he says, you know, check your speck before you check someone's, before, check your log before you check someone else's speck. What he's really saying is that love brings us into fullness. Truth and love, specifically. We don't get better by judging and condemning each other. That judgment and condemnation leads to death. Jesus is undoing death altogether. It's ironic that, but that, that, that the requirement in the judgment that we give one another to live right actually kills us. And Jesus is freeing us from that. That gets me to my final thought about why love the sinner, hate the sin is a bad saying. Because God doesn't hate. God loves. God's love transforms us so that God no longer needs to regard us from a worldly point of view. The old is past, the new is here. God sees you as a new creation right now, even though you can't. Or even though you won't. It's hard to see yourself that way, and it's certainly hard to see the people around you that way. So let's keep bringing about our fullness in love and not in judgment, taking the logs out of our own eyes before we take the specks out of each other's. You know, can we also tread softly on ourselves, knowing that our, if we judge ourselves worse than God will, God does, that's creating another problem. Let's train ourselves to see ourselves as God does and then challenge ourselves to live in that fullness. I mean, that means we don't call each other out for the sake of moral superiority. But we gently address one another in truth and love, knowing that love, not violence, is the best way to bring about a new creation, bringing about Jesus reconciling himself unto us. We don't need any more violence. This is exactly what Paul means when he says, Jesus died once and for all. The death is over. The violence is over. We're living in a new way now. Let's, let's move each other in that direction. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.